0: Justification by faith. I ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, starting in uh, in chapter two, and we will start reading in verse eleven of Galatians in the second chapter. Let's hear the word of the Lord. But if our own endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, Is Christ then a servant of sin, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, even Christ died for no purpose. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Please, let's go to prayer. Pray for me as I preach this marvelous text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Holy Scriptures and pray that as we come to the now thinking about how we are made right before you, thinking about uh, the great work of just the great act of justification and that you would bless your word read and preach. Be with me as I preach your word this morning. Be with the congregation as they hear that your Spirit of God might be at work in our midst, that we might be humbled. That we may reorient our thinking, and that we rest completely and entirely upon Christ and Christ alone, as he has offered to us in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. If we look at world history, we can see that throughout world history, all civilizations that have existed had some type of religion or another. By nature, we are religious creatures because we bear God's image. And so we see people expressing some type of faith in something, though it is often and always polluted unless it is faith in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ alone. But even those who have faith in Jesus can sometimes get things wrong. That we can be wrong in our understanding. We can be wrong in how we come to have confidence in Christ. Is it that we somehow and in some way integrate our works that we think somehow and in some way that gives us a one-up and it makes more certain our time in glory? It does not. Tomorrow will be the 505th year of the day when Martin Luther went to the doors of the church in Wittenberg and nailed 95 theses on that door, thus birthing the Reformation in Germany, in God's providence. You had John Calvin in Geneva living in the same century. You had John Knox living in Scotland again at the same, in the same century get all of these forces coming together, and it dealt with finally and completely how it is that we are made right with God. There was a man named Tetzel who was selling indulgences, and the idea of the indulgences was you would pay money, and it would lessen someone's time in purgatory. And so the church was very corrupted. And not only was the church corrupted, the church was very, very rich. The pope at the time of Martin Luther wanted to build a cathedral, and John—I mean, Martin Luther—said, "Let him use his own money rather than the money of the people," for he was so terribly, terribly wealthy. There was a great conflict in the church. There were men who died for the sake of the gospel. Hugh Latimer and Bishop Ridley, as you know, the first martyrs that were in England. And that great line that was stated to uh, to Ripley: "Play the man, Ripley, for we shall light a candle today." In England, whose flame will never be extinguished. We are the beneficiaries of the Reformation that took place in the church in those years. And we find even in our own day and age, there is that possibility to drift away from holding to the integrity of Scripture and holding to the gospel. And we see that happening in our very own denomination. When the dictates of Scripture are beginning to be ignored... And so the ordination of a man would be a man who is not above reproach. And we all are sinners. But one who identifies as one who is attracted to someone of the same sex and then be ordained. Is that a proper thing to do? Well, it is that it's happened in our own denominations. So again, the Reformation is something that gave us the integrity of how we are made right with God and living by faith and living in obedience to Christ. We are not simply Christians on Sunday. We are not simply believers when we sit here and worship. It is that we carry the gospel out into the world and we carry the light of the gospel out into the world. And we live faithfully before the Lord in righteousness and obedience. That's something that we are to do. And if the church does not do that, if the church does not take its stand, if the church does not serve as salt and light in the world, then it will not be happening. These men that I mentioned, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, uh, Philip Melanchthon was another one, uh, introduced what we call the five Solas in that time. Uh, and one of those was Sola Fides Faith alone. Have us to see this morning. That faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone is the only way that we can be made right with God. It is trusting in without reservation uh, the work of Jesus upon the cross of Calvary, his life and death and resurrection. Well, justification and coming to an understanding of how we are made right with God has been an issue in the church throughout the centuries. And again, did Christ, as he purchased us, as he died for us and has bought us and brought him to himself, does that make any demands upon us? Does it place any obligations upon us? Or is it that we're justified, we're declared not guilty, and now we can live like we choose to live and do the things that we want to do, regardless of what the Bible teaches? Well, justification, as you know, of a little catechism, an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ applied to us and received by faith alone. Imputed to us is the term that the little catechism uses. And so that we have our faith in Jesus and Christ paid for our sins upon the cross of Calvary, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become righteous through him. He paid for our sins upon the cross of Calvary. And by faith, that righteousness of Christ, Jesus did not become a sin on the cross. That perfect righteousness of Jesus is applied to us by faith. But now that we have been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, we are still filled with sin and guilt, are we not? We still sin. We still don't break God's commandments, but it is great grace that in spite of what we deserve and in spite of our own sinfulness that we have been brought into a relationship by his love for us. It's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we can merit. It is entirely ours by the working of God and his kindness and his love for us. Don't. Underestimate God's love. Don't uh, forget to understand the depths of God's love and to search out the depths of God's love for us. We read in the Bible that it's the, the breadth and length and height, and that it goes beyond understanding how much God loves us. And when we enter into a time of our life when we have a bitter providence that we're dealing with, let's don't fail uh, to understand and to remember that God still loves us just as much prior to the these struggles that we're having. As he did when our lives were characterized by bright sunshine and by easy days and easier times in our life. It is because of his love for us that we are justified by faith. And that justification by faith, that declaration that we are not guilty is complete. We are not sort of righteous. We are not sort of acceptable now, we are not kind of not guilty. We are totally and completely not guilty. As far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I was talking to someone the other day that you all know. He's not here. doesn't live here anymore. He was saying that he was reviewing his life. I was going to say this to the end, but it kind of popped in my mind. I'll go ahead and say it now. He was reviewing his life, he was remembering sins of the past. And he looked back at that, and it brought him under conviction. Things that he looked at that happened a long, long time ago. Well, there's no point in dredging those things up. There's a danger in that, as a matter of fact, I would say. Because if we think back on something that was terribly pleasurable to us at a particular time prior to conversion, and we dwell upon it too much, it can become a source of sin again. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, look into what is ahead, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's where we lie. So it is not that we should go back over our lives, years of past, and think of things then dredge them up and feel guilty about them and think that we're still guilty because of, of uh, something we did years ago. And the answer that is no, Christ has forgiven us. God has forgiven you for that. If you repented, if you're trusting in Jesus, that's gone. You think about a girl who had an abortion and she can't get over that. She just can't put it behind her. Well, that's a lie from Satan, you see. He loves for us to look at our past and dredge up things for our past that we just can't get over. Because what it does, you see, it negates the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we begin to think, there's just no way out of this There's just no way I can get beyond this. There's just no way I can come past this. Yes, you can. No matter what the sin is, it's forgiven in Christ. And so, again, we move forward, recognize that we are justified by God, and we cannot be, listen to this, we cannot be more righteous before God than you are right now. You can be more holy. You can be more sanctified. And we should strive to be more holy. We should strive to be more sanctified every day that we live. But we can never be more justified than we are at this moment. When God says we embrace Christ by faith, when God says not guilty, that's the end of it. We have good standing with God from that time on. And we recognize the notoriously that Christians can fall into notorious sins. I think you certainly remember, some of you, that Jimmy Swaggart business, and the Jim Baker, and all these things that were happening to these figures that were out front representing Jesus. Besides the fact that so much of their doctrine was heretical. Nonetheless, they still were, were central in the eyes of the nation and all of those things that were beginning to be happen. And we can certainly understand as well that... Uh, uh, through church history, there were Christians that have done horrible things. So though we are still sinners, we're nonetheless justified before God, not guilty. And again, we strive to be righteous before him. So justification is an act, a declaration on the part of God. It is complete. And it means that we are accepted to the Lord. We are accepted by the Lord. And it is that we are totally and completely righteous before him. And there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves more righteous. I'm going to read this quote to you. No human deeds, however well motivated and sincerely performed, can ever achieve the kind of standing before God that results in the verdict of justification. Hear that? Let me read it again. Let it sink in. No human deeds, however well motivated and sincerely performed, can ever achieve the kind of standing before God that results in the verdict of, Of justification, not guilty. Well, then, justification denied here in this section that you see here with the way that Peter behaves himself as others come who are Jews. And Peter then falls into a great sin. And he says here that he feared the circumcision party, he feared the Jews who considered the Gentiles not to be quite saved, who considered the Gentiles not to be quite where they should be, for they had not observed the sign of circumcision, the Old Testament sign of the covenant. They didn't observe the dietary laws. Peter, of all people, of all people, the friend of Christ, who had at one time denied him three times, who had been restored by Christ, as we read it in the Gospel of John, now denies the Gospel by the way that he lives. So he quit having fellowship with the Gentiles. uh, The Lord had given Peter a vision in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, God calls him by name and he tells Peter to, to kill and eat. These are animals that had been unclean throughout Jewish history, declared so by God. He tells him three times, kill and eat. Peter says, no, I'm not going to do it. He tells him the second time, Peter, kill and eat, no, I'm not going to do it. He tells him a third time, and about this time someone comes, and Peter has to go to the house of a Gentile uh, to give this man a further instruction in the gospel. So Peter had all these wonderful blessings, these visions and such as that, and yet he still falls into this sin. Of hypocrisy, refusing to fellowship with the Gentiles, and what Paul says here, he's urged the Gentiles to become Jews. You see how retroactive that is. He's telling the Gentiles that in order to really be a believer, you have to undergo the circumcision, although he may not have said that, that's what he is implying by the way that he's living. In order to be truly with God, you have to observe the dietary laws that God gave to us in the Old Testament. And you see how he's denying the integrity of the gospel. Because it is by the gospel that we are able to have complete freedom to come to the throne of grace, complete freedom to fellowship with God through Christ and Christ alone. It is amazing to me that Peter... Of all the people in the New Testament, again, who had been uh, denied Jesus, who had been corrected by Jesus, restored by Jesus, now falls into this sin, and it basically has to do with self-righteousness. It has to do with how we are made right with God, and is denying, absolutely denying justification by faith. Paul concern. Is motivated by these facts. Let me read this to you. To alter the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, one wit, one modicum, one molecule, is to be out of step with the truth of the gospel. It says in the scriptures, not many should aspire to be teachers. Why is that? because teachers will be held to a higher accountability for what they preach and for what they teach. And so here, Peter himself denying the integrity of the gospel. Look at the contrast uh, in verse 5. Um, to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. And again, um, In verse 14, Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Before them all, though you a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul then confronting this man, Peter, who had lived with Jesus, who had worked with Jesus for three years, and the confrontation is public. He doesn't take him aside. And confront him. He doesn't take him aside and tell him that he's in error. Rather, he does it publicly. Why? Because the sin was public. Because Peter is serving as an instructor of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's denied the integrity of the gospel. And so, those who have seen him separate themselves from the Gentiles, well, they have to be informed and the Jews have to be corrected as well. So, this is a confrontation that was public. And then he confronts him with the facts of the matter. You are a Jew. You lived as a Gentile. You stayed in their homes. You ate their food. You accepted their customs. And now you have denied them and have brought shame upon the name of Christ. By saying, in effect, Christ is not enough. Serving Jesus is not enough. It takes more. And in your case, the Gentiles, it takes observing the Old Testament sign of the covenant, and it takes observing the the, uh, dietary laws as well. You must obey the law if you're really going to be a believer, if you're really going to be made right with God, if you're really going to be justified before the Lord. And you see the horror of this. This is heretical. This is a very, very serious... Sin on the part of Peter. It's a very serious sin when we begin to deny justification by faith and we can ask ourselves this. Well, if we are not simply justified by faith and justified by faith in Christ alone, then what, must, what else must we do to be made right with God? What else must we do to be accepted to God? Do we fall into this mindset uh, and the things that we do? Uh, Do you ever feel that because you've committed some kind of sin, you've got to do something? You've got to do something to make yourself feel like, well, God's accepted me back. What we do is we repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uh, points out here that the Jews had special privileges, and they certainly did have special privileges, in Romans 9, we read about that. I read it not too long ago. They were God's people. And he said that uh, they didn't sin like the Gentiles. The Gentiles did not have the privileges that uh, the Jews had. They did not have the prophets. They did not, not members of the covenant and so forth. Uh, they were born at a disadvantage. So they did not have any way to keep the law. They didn't know the law and yet they are still accepted by God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, totally and completely. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see when we come here to worship and we sing praises to Christ, we sing praises to God, why do we do that? Because it's all about what Christ has done for us. It's all about His work. It's all about our redemption based upon his work. And we sing praises to him because our future is bright. Your future is very bright. Not here all the time. Not too bright here sometimes. Uh, We have troubles. Troubles. I remember talking to someone one time about an unbelieving child and how that burdened them, just burdened their hearts. They were weighed down by the fact that their child was not a believer. We have ills in this life. We have troubles in this life. Or the individual who loses his job and does not know what he's going to do now to begin to support his family and the responsibilities that he has to take care of. We have Burdens in this life and trials in this life. Are the one who is told that they are not going to live but maybe six months. It was very interesting to me that when R.C. Sproul sent out that letter about his death, he knew he was going to die. And one thing he said in there was pray for me if I am scared. I've told you that before. Pray for me if I am afraid. Oh. Death is the highest expression of of sin there is that we can witness, that we can see. Death is the highest expression of sin that we witness in this life as far as the punishment and condemnation that it brings. Nobody wants to die. Do you want to die? I know people that commit suicide obviously want to die. But all things being equal, we do not want to die. Death is the ultimate expression of God's wrath and condemnation against sin that we can witness in this life. And yet, because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that beyond this life is a better one than this. Based upon the work of Christ, all that he did for our sakes is life and death and resurrection. And it is as we empty ourselves of all notions of trying to make ourselves righteous before God—not holy, not not sanctification—not talking about that at all. We have a responsibility to be as holy as we possibly can be in this life. You have advantages here. You have opportunities to come to Bible studies. You have opportunities to get involved in community study groups. You have community opportunities for evening worship and Sunday school. These are opportunities for grace to be administered. And very few take advantage of that. Yet these are means that God has established for His church whereby we may grow in the image of Christ, grow to be like Jesus as we hear the Word of God read, as we hear the Word of God preached, and by His grace applied to us. And we should desire to be as much like Jesus as we possibly can be. That's got nothing to do with Justification accept our responsibilities to seek out the Lord and to seek to be holy before our God. But our efforts of sanctification again do not in any way whatsoever cause us to be more justified than we are presently before the Lord. By grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. If you ever want to see a tenderness uh, given that you've got uh, loving parents, just watch them take care of a sick child. There's a tenderness there uh, that is seldom seen when you take care of a little one that is really, really, really sick. The message of the gospel. Is God's message to us of taking care of us in our weaknesses, in our sickness, in the face of death. We have hope in this life because of justification by faith. It also means that we, have a belie- as believers, have responsibility to see to it that we hold to the truth of the gospel. That when God says something is wrong, we confess it's wrong, acknowledge it's wrong, and seek to make the church pure by holding to the truth of the scriptures. The greatest expression of God's love for us is seen in the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary, so we live our lives constantly in hope. Philippians 1 and verse 6, great verse. We recommend it to you to memorize it. I can't recall if it's one of our memory verses or not, but it says this. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of perfection. Do you see how that speaks of grace? He who began a good work within you, that's God, who has begun a good work in us by our conversion, coming to faith in Christ, who has begun a good work in us by uniting us to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ and will carry it on until the day of perfection. And so that we don't have to worry about this. Am I going to make it? Am I actually going to be in heaven? Well, the question is, that you ask yourself, is not what have I done, but who am I trusting? Am I leaning upon Christ and the gospel message solely? Am I trusting in Jesus completely? Nothing that I have done, nothing that I can do, nothing that I will ever be able to do, but simply trusting in Christ. And if the answer to that is no, well, you do have an ultimate conclusion to your life, and that is condemnation. And all you have to do to get out of that path of destruction is come to faith in Jesus. But if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, you have the certainty of heaven. You have the certainty of the resurrection. You have the certainty of standing before God and him saying to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. You have the confidence of closing your eyes at death knowing that the next thing you see is going to be God himself, his glory revealed in the saints of God. If you have loved ones that have died, they'll be there who are in Christ. Your mama, your daddy, brothers and sisters, whatever the case may happen to be because of the effectiveness of God's work in Jesus Christ and justification by simply trusting in the Lord Jesus. What a great gospel we have, that Christ has done it all for us. He has completed the requirements of the law by keeping them, He has taken care of our condemnation and guilt by taking that upon Himself. He has given us the grace of justification by His resurrection from the dead. Heaven is our home. And it is secure to us because of Jesus. Let's pray.